Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Anne. We are officially in our post-Kim filing for divorce from Chris Humphreys era and moving right along into Chloe and Lamar season two. How you feeling? I'm feeling, uh, well, I was actually about to say I'm feeling amazing, which I am. I'm so excited to talk about this season. I'm so excited to get into it, but I have a lot of like strong negative emotions associated with it too that I'd like to discuss. It was a tough watch. I'm not even going to lie to you. Not not from what we were actually seeing. I just feel like this is the most in love we have ever seen Chloe. And from this point, I have never seen her again with, I guess the way that I would put it is this level of comfort with a man. It was that, but also... This was the first time that we had seen Chloe and Lamar well into their marriage. Not well in, they're two and a half years in, but they're out of that initial phase. They really know each other now. They're out of that initial honeymoon. And now they're, for the first time, dealing with real stuff. And you see the way they problem solve. You see the way they communicate. You see the way they lean on each other. And so watching this season, it's like even more upsetting to see the way things transpired after the fact and what we're about a year out from in terms of their relationship ending and and kind of spiraling out of control. Because as you're watching it, you literally have that feeling looking at them like, oh, there's nothing they can't handle together. I know. I mean, not not to <laughs> quote their fragrance, but they really do feel unbreakable when you're watching these episodes, no? I am I'm truly heartbroken. It's like one of those things where I logically know exactly what happened with their marriage. I know all, not all of the details of the in-between, but enough that we can kind of piece it together. And yet watching the way they are together, I cannot for the life of me understand how any of what transpired, transpired. I think the other thing is that when we talk about Chloe in terms of her experiences with men, we constantly have the sentiment of like, God, she just can't catch a break, which is true. She can't. She has been disrespected numerous times by numerous people, and it is unfortunately a pattern. But I think because Lamar has been lumped in with that, understandably and deservingly so because of the way that the relationship ended, at least for me, it's not that I forget these years, but they're not what I think of when I think of Chloe and Lamar. And so now to watch this, and at this time, listen, factually, even though we weren't seeing it on camera, some shit was starting to go on for sure. And knowing what we know now and watching the show with the knowledge that we have, there are certain scenes and certain moments that you can pick up and say, okay, there was some behind the scenes shit happening there. But Aside from that, when you're just watching their interactions in terms of what they're showing you, it is this overwhelming amount of love and mutual respect and care that we are so unfamiliar with Chloe having that type of relationship in at all recent history. And so it's just, I'm so upset because I just want, not this, but I want her to feel the way she felt in these early years. I want her to feel that again so badly. She deserves it so badly. I know. I I literally think about it all the time. I, I do. I just, you know, watching this season, it was like, you know, when Lamar did that TMZ interview where he 
takes you through the timeline of what happened with his overdose and what happened with him and Chloe. He details this period of his life as the turning point. And he, you know, in this season talks about his cousin dying over the summer and that really rocked him. And then he talks about leaving LA and being traded to the Mavericks, which is what we see in this season and how that just, and you can see the depression that he's dealing with. You can see the mental health issues that he's dealing with here. Like that really rocked him and that really took him out of his place. And leaving LA was so, so, so hard on him. And you can see the effects that it has in this season. And so when I'm watching their relationship and I I know how things transpired, it was like, I can understand how hurt Lamar was. I can understand the pain that he went through. He has had so much loss in his life and he has had so many things that he's had to deal with. The thing that I still can't wrap my head around is the fact that all of those things wound up with him intentionally hurting Chloe. And I think that if I'm Chloe and I'm kind of figuring out life after Lamar, those trust issues are, oh my God. Like I was watching this episode being like, how do you trust anybody? Like if Lamar can do this to Chloe, like how do you ever trust again? Because it just, it felt so fucking out of the question. I know that's the thing about her trust issues. That's why it's like, if you heard about the Tristan stuff and you were just coming in brand new, never had any Kardashian history, you'd be like, wow, what a jackass. Like he's not, forget just Jordan, just everything in the entire way that he's handled and mishandled their relationship. But when you find out about that, having the background knowledge of what she went through with Lamar, it's it's more than upsetting. That's the shit that makes you mad. It does. It just, it makes me sad, honestly, sad. Again, the point that we always come back to because it really hits for me is like, it is unbelievable to feel this level of feelings for someone that we do not know, like truly do not know, but somehow you feel for her the way that you would feel for a close friend. And that is a testament to, yes, her vulnerability, but also the way that reality television for this many years makes you feel as though you are in these people's lives. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just what happened. When I heard Chloe say Lammy June, my heart broke into a million pieces. I've been calling Isabel Izzy June all day. (laughs) It's so, uh, I mean, let me tell you guys how we're going to do this. We didn't even brief you, which is Julie and I start watching this season. The episodes are 22 minutes, no commercials. And at first we're like, okay, maybe we'll do episodes one through six. And as we're watching, we're like, this is a whole season that's going to be done in one episode because for the first half, there is pretty much nothing of significance, like nothing against Jamie, but I don't need to spend time talking about his acting career or Malika's short-lived relationship with Adrian Wilson or Rob Sockline, like all fine plots for the show, enjoyable to watch, but we don't have a podcast to recap that. We want to get into the bulk of it, which really is the second half of the season and everything that happens after Lamar's trade. So we're doing an entire season in one episode and let's get into it. You ready? This feels crazy. It does, but it also feels so right. Like as we're watching, I said to you, I'm like, how are we supposed to do an episode on one through six? Nothing happened. First of all, we start off with them living their life in LA in this period of confusion during the NBA lockout and end with them in Dallas. And so that is an all-encompassing journey that we just all need to go on together in like literally right now. Right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just a moment of timeline. So we're all on the same page. This season aired from February 19th to April 29th, 2012. To keep in mind, the last episode of Courtney and Kim Take New York season two aired January 29th, 2012. So this came out about a month after Courtney and Kim Take New York wrapped. 
Also keep in mind, Kim filed for divorce from Chris Humphreys October, 2011. It wasn't finalized until June, 2013. But if you remember when we left New York just last week, we saw Kim in tears. Her life was in shambles. And she said, you know, this is something that I'm going to have to deal with off camera. So the first time we see Kim since that, in terms of on our screens, is when she makes an appearance on this season of Chloe and Lamar. And her and Chloe make reference to that time in her life and how miserable Kim was and the fact that they were nonstop fighting, which is what we literally just watched and recapped, but we didn't get an immediate update on Kim. So then for all of a sudden, Kim to enter the equation and we're hearing her kind of reflect on her time with Chris, it just feels like a lot of things are happening at once. Well, what's so interesting about the way that they do this season, and I think we spoke about this during the first season of Chloe and Lamar, is they really make it its own show. Like, when they did the spinoffs where it was Courtney and Chloe in Miami, Courtney and Kim in New York, it felt like Kardashians just being filmed in a different location. It didn't feel like it had its own cast. It just felt like this was the circumstance of where they were living. And so the main characters in this season are, for example, Scott, Courtney, Chris, and Kim, but everybody's going to kind of come in and out, which is a little bit what happened with Chloe and Lamar, but it really felt like Chloe. Lamar, Rob, Malika, and Jamie were their own cast. And so when they make reference to the rest of the family or things that are happening, they don't recap it the way they would in a normal Kardashian episode where they would announce some big thing and then it would cut to confessional and explain it. Like when they talk, for example, in a couple of episodes about Courtney being pregnant, there was no official announcement of cutting to confessional. We found out Courtney's having another baby. We're so excited to have this addition to the family, which is how they would normally do it in the show. It is literally so casually brought up with the first time we hear it is when Kim says to Chloe, oh, were you jealous when you found out for a second that Courtney was having another baby? We've never experienced Kardashians working in that way. Well, I mean, what about the fact that when Chris comes on an episode, it feels like a celebrity guest appearance? We've never had that before. Chris, on some level, was always either a recurring character or discussed enough that she felt like that. Whereas when I saw her on screen for the first time, I was like, whoa, how'd you get here? I know. Okay, so again, the way that we're going to do this... I'm talking like I know. I don't really know. We got an outline in front of us. I'm like, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. We're just kind of going to go through it and see what works best. We've pretty much bulleted all the episodes, but it's not our normal scene-by-scene scene breakdown because, again, we don't have time to sit through Jamie's acting class. It's not what you guys are here for. It's not what we're here for. And we want to get to the good stuff. All right. Episode one. Major focus here is the fact that Rob has moved out of Chloe and Lamar's house into his own apartment. He's doing Dancing with the Stars, which as a total side note, didn't you kind of forget about this period of Rob's life? Because last we saw him or last we were really familiar with him on the show, he was in a pretty shitty place with the family. He was really having a lot of questions as to where he was at in his life. And I, not that I forgot he did Dancing with the Stars, obviously I knew that he did it, but I feel like we didn't get enough info about that jump. I had forgotten the timeline of that as well. Um, because I think that when you think about Rob in the grand scheme of things, it was like kind of this downward trajectory of like, he's struggling definitely this season. And we see some of that come up, but he's in a much better place than we had seen him in previously. And so when you're kind of recapping all of these years of Kardashians and throwing it in your mind into like kind of a linear time frame you feel like Rob's journey was really linear where it definitely wasn't. Well, but the other thing is 
in that episode in Bora Bora, when he's having that conversation with Chris and he's expressing just a lot of confusion as to where he's at in his life. And he doesn't really feel like he wants to be on the same path as his sisters. And of course, Chris, who's in full-blown momager mode and really wanting to make them as famous as physically possible, she doesn't necessarily know how to navigate Rob's struggles, which is why when I saw him on Dancing with the Stars, and again, I knew that that happened, but I had just forgotten about the timeline in my mind. It was like, oh, so there was a moment when he was really willing to be thrown into the mix in terms of a fame perspective in the way that Chris would have wanted any of them to. You know, whereas if you're watching Rob and Bora Bora, you think there's no world that Chris is going to convince him to do Dancing with the Stars. Well, I think something else in terms of Chloe and Lamar's relationship is something we always talk about when we're talking about them together is the way that Rob fit into it all. And this season, more than any other, I feel like we really see that brotherly relationship between Lamar and Rob because they're separated, right? Like in the first season, when we're seeing them together, they're fucking around, they're having so much fun together, they have the best time, we see how much they love each other. What we see in this season is the way that they depend on each other and the way Lamar really, really loves and is so protective and dependent on Rob's presence. And I think that in our minds, and maybe even the family's minds, when we think about the time period where Rob was living at the house with Chloe and Lamar, it was like, oh, he gets to live there for free. He's kind of mooching off of them. He can't really get it together. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And like he, he's staying in their guest room as a result of that. Where what we see in this season is like, Rob and Chloe both constantly want him around. Like when he's not in Dallas with them, they are doing everything they can to get him to stay there. At the end of the season, when Rob is talking about having to figure out moving to a different apartment and moving out by March of the apartment he had just moved into, it's Lamar that's going, I don't get it. Why can't he just move back in with us? Why does he have to find somewhere else to live? And I feel like I got a really different understanding of, Lamar and Rob. Well, I feel like this, the simplest way to put it in terms of the three of them is up until this point, I feel like we were viewing Chloe and Lamar as Rob's stability. And what ended up happening over the course of the season is that Rob kind of was their stability, which was a little bit of a role reversal, you know, especially from the image that we were shown last time we were in their home. This is why I always say to you that Everything else aside, like we've known for their entire lives, Rob and Chloe have had a very close relationship. But I think also going through what they went through with Lamar was probably bonding, but trauma bonding for them in a way that we can't quite understand. Because no one else understood not only the relationship between Chloe and Lamar in the way that Rob did, but also no one else in the family, while being very close to Lamar, understood Lamar in the way that Rob did. And so, as we always say, of course, number one, it was the betrayal to Chloe, but Probably number two was the betrayal to Rob. And I think, I, I mean, we talk about this constantly. We, you and I will be walking and it's like 4 p.m. on a Tuesday walking down Central Park West and I'll turn to you and be like, you think Rob and Lamar have spoken recently? Like it's something that I am constantly curious about and I know that will just be a lingering sense of curiosity for forever because it's it, talk about watching Chloe and Lamar knowing what they are now. Watching Rob and Lamar and knowing most likely what they are now is very hard to wrap your head around. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, in this first episode, you know, like we said, it's getting the understanding of Rob moving out and Lamar having a difficult time with that. And also just them generally bumping heads. And when you get down to it, the reason they are bumping heads is just because they love and miss each other so much. Like there's really nothing to it other than that. And we watch this continue to play out in terms of their relationship. The next episode really centers around Malika's new boyfriend, NFL player Adrian Wilson. 
And the issue she's having here is that he has recently broken up with his wife. He has young children and she kind of just doesn't feel right about the relationship in the sense that she feels guilty that him choosing to spend time with her is effectively taking away time from his kids. She feels like she's in the middle of kind of a rough situation and she ultimately decides to end the relationship with him. As a total side note that we found out when doing research for this episode, he ended up getting back with his wife that he had broken up with prior to the Malika relationship. Him and Malika were together at the end of 2011 and him and his wife ended up renewing their vows in March, 2012. So she certainly made the right call in realizing that something wasn't totally right here. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, she's really resistant to feeling that guilt because she really wants to make it work. And I know this wasn't like the important (laughs) plot of all of Chloe and Lamar, but I do think it was interesting to get that background of Malika and Khadija's family, which is Malika talking about how her father was engaged to another woman while married to their mother. And so Malika in this episode really likes Adrian, really wants to be with him, is really resistant to the idea that she's doing anything wrong. Chloe is kind of just telling her to be careful and it hits a nerve for her where she realizes like she's not doing anything wrong, but it doesn't mean she has to be in the middle of the situation. And I just feel like with Malika, she's been on our screens for so many years that to get her storyline and to get part of her outside of her relationship with Chloe was just interesting. Totally. And something else that we continue to see throughout the course of Kardashians is one of the reasons Malika and Chloe have been able to maintain such a strong friendship for these many years is because they really can both play the role of being the rock for one another. I know in one of the more recent episodes when Chloe has her melanoma scare, Malika kind of breaks down to her and it's that whole discussion of like Chloe's being so strong for everyone else. But over the course of their friendship from what we've seen, they can both go back and forth in being not only each other's rock, but also the person that kind of comes in and is willing to set whoever straight that is causing the other one potential harm. Meaning in this episode, when we see Chloe have her sit down with Adrian and she's questioning him, not aggressively, but you know, she's just wanting to make sure everything's kosher here. Malika would also happily play that role for Chloe. And I think that's why it works. Right. Their dynamic is one where I feel like a lot of times when we see one where one person is is significantly more famous than the other, it's like no matter how great their friendship is, the dynamic always is a little bit interesting to observe where I feel like Malika and Chloe have really found that balance. And it's even more interesting considering the fact that Malika was Chloe's assistant for a number of years. Yeah, but you don't, at least I do not feel that way when watching. No, like me either. In terms of the celebrity and non-celebrity best friend pairings we've seen over the years. I think Malika and Chloe rank among the highest in terms of this feels very equal. Yeah, definitely. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. So episode three is another one that we're kind of going to glaze over. Nothing overly important to mention here. The major plot lines are number one, Rob trying to find his thing, deciding that he wants to do a sock line and feeling like Chloe isn't being overly supported and is kind of just exhausted by his sisters always putting him down. As a total side note, something we see in this episode is Rob going to meet with his friend, Nicholas Bijan, who is in the fashion industry. Rob, you know, is viewing him as kind of an advisory role, but Nicholas is now married to Roxy Solwati from Rich Kids of Beverly Hills. And they both were recently in Sophia Richie's wedding. So, so just those random Hollywood connections that I always like to mention when we see. Did you know that? I didn't know it until you just said it, but everybody is so fucking connected. So unbelievably connected. Even, you know, in a few episodes down the line when Chloe's in Dallas and she has Rob Sheppy there with her, who was, you know, part of their glam team. It's like you can take Rob Sheppy and connect him to so many other aspects of Hollywood. I know that he no longer works with them, but if we were trying to play that game, we could play it so well with just the people that appear on screen here. Well, you know, that's what's interesting about the way that they grew up, the Kardashians specifically, where a lot of the times the people that we can play this game with when we're watching reality shows or talking about celebrities is people that they've met and become connected to since coming out to LA. Like, of course, everybody in LA is so connected. It is just the age old story and you can, you know, web people together and never run out of connections. However, what I think is interesting about the Kardashians is that they grew up in this lifestyle. And so when you talk about their childhood friends that have nothing to do with the show, have nothing to do with the connections they've made since becoming the Kardashians, you can still play that game a million times over. I mean, Kim's best friend is Allison Statter. Do you know how many fucking connections come from Allison Statter? Her brother is Harry Styles' manager. Like her dad is one of the biggest people to ever exist in music. I mean, we could play this game over and over and over again and never run out of of, of connections and people, but it's just so rare, I feel like, when we're doing that, that they're just childhood connections that have nothing to do with like the fame that's now the case. Well, right, because a lot of people come to LA when they're trying to start their career and aren't necessarily born and raised in LA. 
but you're talking about a family that was born and raised in LA. And, you know, those are connections that they've had since before they were even born. Like Shelly Azoff and Chris are friends before Kim Kardashian is Kim Kardashian. Right. The other plotline of this episode is just Chloe kind of babying Lamar and Lamar feeling a little bit fed up by it. It's not worth really getting into because it was so clearly dramatized. However, there was certainly an aspect to their relationship that was her taking on this very kind of nurturing, dare I say, maternal role with him that like worked for sure. But I think also there was a limit. Well, I mean, Chloe says in the episode, she's like, well, I don't have a baby yet. So like Lamar is my child. Like that is where this energy has to be put into, which was a fascinating dynamic. It worked for them up until a point, which we saw in this episode, but something about Lamar is that he lost his mother. And so when Chloe steps in in that role, and specifically when Chris steps in in that role, it's really comforting for him. It's something that he's really craving. And I think part of the reason that he was so drawn to Chloe is because he got you know, that nurturing side from her. There's a point where he feels like he's like, I'm a man still. And I want to prove that I'm like the man of this house and I can take care of you. And so them exploring that dynamic and and finding that was interesting. But I think that if you were to ask Lamar what his favorite thing about his relationship with Chloe was, especially in the best years of it, it would be how taken care of he was. It's the kind of thing that could spark a deep analysis if you wanted it to. And it's the type of thing a therapist I'm sure would have a lot to say about. To me, I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm observing this. I recognize there's some shit here, but it worked for them. And such as that, it's, it's more so like, I think what I kept like focusing on is a lot of the times when we see this dynamic portrayed in heterosexual relationships, it comes along with the woman carrying a lot of resentment for having to play this role. And what's interesting here is that Chloe embraces it. Like no part of her, at least from what she's communicating, is at all even remotely frustrated with having, I mean, kind of to take on an almost maternal role with Lamar. If anything, we start to see him express a little bit of frustration with it. Whereas you see that that is feeding something in Chloe. Yes. I I have so much to say in terms of how it applies in other relationships and conversations you and I have had recently, but we just do not have time for that. But I know exactly what you mean. And I, yes. Yeah. There's, (laughs) oh God. I don't know about you guys, but like, it's so hard to watch episodes like this, specifically ones that focus on like the relationship dynamics, forgetting about any of the other details and not on some level, like, personalize it. Like whether you're thinking about the way that you were raised in terms of what you saw from your parents or just patterns you're noticing in your own life with people you're choosing to date. It's like, it is, it comes up for me so much. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'll tell you one thing. My mom would not be down for this. No fucking way. No, neither neither would mine. Obviously. (laughs) But you know, what's funny is like, I, I think both of our dads are so similar in this way. Like they they would be down for it as long as they weren't made aware of that's what was happening. Like it, the perfect example I always give is when I was out to dinner with my parents one time and my dad orders a poke bowl and it comes with rice, which is how poke bowls come. And he's like, what? This is supposed to be a salad. And we realized that the reason he thinks it's supposed to be a salad is because my mom always orders the poke bowl for him and tells them to do a salad instead of rice. And so he was so confused. Like his entire reality was shaken because <laughs> he's he's never heard of a poke bowl with rice before. Meanwhile, like it's just because my mom orders his food for him in that way. But 
So I think that's something with our dads and a lot of dads and a lot of men is like, they're so happy to play that role when they have absolutely no awareness of the fact that that's what's happening. Whereas as soon as they're made aware of it, they're like, I, I can do it myself. I'm, the, I'm a man. I don't need you to do it for me. It's like, <laughs> you kind of do. You just don't want to know that that's what's happening. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so moving on to episode four, which is getting a little bit more substantial in terms of things to discuss. doesn't really get there until episode six, but what's happening here is, as we know, the NBA lockout was going on from July through December of 2011. So we are in the middle of the NBA lockout. Lamar's kind of starting to lose it because obviously he's so out of his routine and he gets this opportunity to play in Turkey, which... Chloe has very conflicted feelings on given Armenia and Turkey's history. And you see it's something she discusses with her sisters and she ends up calling her uncle, Robert Kardashian's brother to talk it through. And you see her really going back and forth between wanting to share these concerns with Lamar, yet also not wanting to because she sees how much he's missing basketball. And she feels as though now he has this opportunity to play. She doesn't want to take that away from him for her own reason. So just watching her navigate that was interesting, although it never amounted to anything given the fact that the NBA lockout ended before he took the opportunity to play in Turkey. What's really interesting that we see in in this episode specifically, but we do see it in most episodes, is like the way that Chloe stands by her man And I think that when people use the term, like, that's my man, like nobody exemplified that more than Chloe, maybe to a fault, but like, and we see that in this episode kind of being to a fault for the first time, because it now involves Chloe potentially sacrificing what she believes, Chloe potentially sacrificing her ability to voice her thoughts and opinions as to not upset Lamar to, you know, be able to stand by him in her fullest capacity. Whereas when Lamar finds out that's what Chloe's doing, he's so hurt and upset by the fact that she wouldn't have come to him and explained that because he knows this is a decision that they're going to make together. But you see that dynamic that Chloe has with Lamar where it's like, I am going to stand by him no matter what. And if he feels like he needs to play in Turkey, then I'm just going to kind of keep this to myself and let him make that decision on his own. Like it, it was the first time that, I don't say, I don't want to say it was the first time that their dynamic had that to it because it certainly wasn't. But I think it was the first time where you were like, oh, like, no, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Well, something that I kept thinking about while watching this, specifically this episode, but really the entire season was prior to Courtney and Kim take New York season two, we were recapping Kim and Chris's fairy tale wedding or lack of a fairy tale wedding. And something that kept coming up was Chris constantly comparing the way Kim was to the way that Chloe was in terms of how they were in relationships. And the term Chris Humphreys repeatedly used was, you know, Chloe is just so down for her man. I just wish you were as down for your man as Chloe is. And I remember when we were recapping it, we were like so disgusted by him using that term. And when you're watching this, you're like, I totally understand his observation. And it's not that he was necessarily wrong. It's just the way that he conveyed it was so unappealing. Well, the thing with Chris saying that Chloe was so down for her man is that he wasn't wrong about Chloe being down for her man. She 100% was. The issue was, is that Chris was unwilling to be down for his woman in the way that Lamar was. Lamar was fucking down for Chloe. 
Well, something that I was really thinking of in terms of that comparison between Chris and Kim and Chloe and Lamar is in a few episodes, which we're about to get into, when the NBA lockout ends and Lamar is briefly traded to New Orleans, which as we know, the trade doesn't end up going through. But throughout this entire process, Chloe just so happens to be in New York. She's there for a couple of days for a work engagement. And you see, she's beating herself up over the fact that she's not there to emotionally support Lamar during this time. But not once in any of their communication is he shaming her or making her feel guilty for not being there during this moment. He recognizes she had a work commitment and she's there for it and she's going to come back. Whereas I just couldn't help but think if this was Chris and Kim and Chris was going through this while Kim was in New York for a work engagement, he would be constantly shaming her for even daring to think that her work could potentially be more important or as important than him in terms of not being there for him during this time. And you never see that from Lamar. I could so hear the Chris Humphreys conversation. Baby. Baby, do you think that Chloe would go to New York if Lamar needed her? The issue with watching so much of Chris and Kim is that like, I really can hear Chris's voice in my head pretty clearly. Like I don't a situa- want it there. I don't want it there, but a situation can arise. I'm, I'm talking completely non-Kardashian specific. Like I could go through a, an event in my life and be like, I'm pretty sure this is what Chris Humphreys would say to it. What a scary, like annoying thought to have. Hilarious. <laughs> my two thoughts, like, what would my mom say? What would Chris Humphrey say? <laughs> the angel and devil on my shoulder. <laughs> no, literally. Well, I say that as I'm looking at the two pictures of my parents next to one another, my dad rolling a joint and my mom, like just looking so gorgeous in her giant Chanel sunglasses. <laughs> the contrast between those two photos, I look at them every single time I'm at your apartment. I'm like... <laughs> How did those two end up together? <laughs> I don't know. Every time. They Obviously, your dad's wearing a yellow shirt in that picture. <laughs> it's only because it was their second marriages. There's no way if it wasn't. Somehow they found each other. I, I, thank it's God, really, huh? Thank God. I really do feel like I'm just such a combo of them. I feel so lucky. Yeah. God, it's so nice to just like fucking love your parents, you know, like, not, yeah. it's, is, no, but it's, it's really not a reality that everyone has. Like, just because they're your parents, they're not automatically great people. And we just got really lucky to have like phenomenal human beings that are examples of who and what we would want to be. And like, that is something to really be grateful for. Yeah, we, we, we definitely did. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which 
I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so we're about to really get into the good stuff. One more episode we're going to glaze over is episode five when Malika is potentially wanting to get a boob job and we see her and Chloe kind of go back and forth about it. The the one thing here that I want to mention is, well, I guess two things. First of all, you see her go for her consultation with Dr. Garth Fisher, who is the same guy that handled Chloe's melanoma on her face. So we've seen Garth for years in terms of Hollywood, but he really has maintained his role in the Kardashians' lives. And- that is just beautiful. I feel like Garth Fisher should get a, a producer credit on the Kardashians. We saw him so much. I know, I know. But the, the thing to mention here is just that scene when they're lingerie shopping because Chloe really wants to take Malika to try on some new bras and show her like, you don't need a boob job to feel sexy. First of all, if you want that look, we can you know achieve it with a push-up bra. But second of all, I just want you to feel deeply confident in your skin. And Malika's still on the fence as we know she doesn't end up getting it. But when they're on this lingerie shopping outing, Chloe's like, you know what? I'm going to try on some lingerie because I don't look nearly as good as you. And I want to show you if I'm comfortable in my skin, like you should be comfortable in yours. And when she tries it on, she says pretty much that to Malika and Malika makes a comment like, listen, if you want to get lipo, get lipo, which like, she so didn't mean it to be like that. She was saying like, if there's something you're unhappy with, you, I feel comfortable with you changing it. Just like if I have something that I'm unhappy with, AKA my boobs, I want you to feel comfortable with me changing it. But oh my God, that comment sent Chloe. And I get why it was like just poorly made, poorly received. It was like, you could tell from the second she said it, it was going to be a disaster, but watching the way that that continued to have Chloe kind of like spiral, I think is, yes, it was a small moment, but we can, really gain a lot of insight into what was maybe going on in her mind in terms of her own body image. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that we saw a lot of with Chloe at the time, like that struggle between really being very confident and a lot of the times being really comfortable in her skin. And especially because Lamar really made her feel that way and deriving so much of how she felt. Yes. A lot of it internally, but a lot of it like Lamar just made her feel so beautiful. And it's something that she reiterated over and over and over again. And at the same time, really struggling with the way that other people spoke about her and not trying to let that penetrate her and not trying to let that, you know, be something that made her self-conscious. And it just, there, there was definitely an internal battle between Chloe a lot of the times. And I think most of the time during the season, we saw her really as this like very confident person, but every so often there was something that would just hit her in the right spot. And it, you could see it, like you could see that start to come through. No, you really can. And and the thing is, it's impossible to separate the way that Chloe potentially felt about herself or would have felt about herself if she wasn't simultaneously being so scrutinized by the media kind of what ended up happening is that even if you wanted to try to have the clearest distinction between what are her own thoughts and then what are her thoughts that 
have been kind of crafted or been made to exist because of the way that she had been talked about and treated. Like you couldn't, you could, there's the, the, the lines were so blurred. And I think even she would say that like at a certain point you, you, I don't want to say you lose your sense of self, but I do feel that it becomes blurry, unfortunately. Yeah, I think so too. I also think that just logistically in terms of the conversation between her and Malika and Malika wanting to get a boob job, I think it was also a really important understanding of just like, you can have your own set of insecurities and then you can look at somebody who you perceive to have like this incredible body or like they would have nothing to complain about. And then it cuts to Malika in confessional and she's like, yeah, I know there are all of these like things that I do like about my body, but at the same time, like I feel like I am a woman and I'm 30 years old and I want my body to represent that. And yet like when I look in the mirror, I feel like I look like a little boy sometimes. Like there's things about, and that's like, I think that when you're, I think that when you have such a one track mind about your own insecurities and your own things and you see somebody that, you know, represents the opposite of the things that you dislike in yourself or the things that you're insecure about. You can't even imagine a scenario in which they would have something to feel insecure about or like you so easily can discount their things. And then like, you know, you cut to Malika in confessional and what she's saying, like for her and for a lot of people makes a lot of sense and really is a really big point of insecurity. And so it just, I think that both of them having that conversation and both of them kind of acknowledging each other, both of them sharing how they feel was just like an important point to make in the grand scheme of like life. Totally. I mean, it's just like the understanding and like really solidifying the understanding that everyone is having a very individual experience. And like, it it is not on anyone else to judge or evaluate the legitimacy of someone else's personal insecurities. Like you just, you can't pretend to be in their head. Right. You know, you just, you just can't. And, And by the way, a lot of times I feel like it comes from a very positive, supportive lens of like, oh my God, how could you complain about that? If I had that, I would never complain of a day in my life. Like, you know, it's coming from the the perspective of actually being so in awe of the other person. But at the end of the day, like maybe while flattering, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the way that you feel about your thing just because you know that someone else wouldn't mind having it. Like right. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're, this is still you. And like, it's, I mean, I, uh, again, another thing that like, I, I watched this and I, I personalize it a little. Like, that's why this show is so good because yeah, we're talking about Malika sitting in Garth Fisher's office, potentially getting a boob job, but you think about all of those different kinds of things in your own life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why the show has worked. It's why it continues to work. It's yeah. The personalization of something that is just so far from your, your realm of consciousness and understanding, like to be able to make those connections is the only reason the show works. If it was so far out there and their lives were so unrelatable, I think that there would be a part of it that's enjoyable to watch, but you wouldn't feel connected. At a certain point, the show would just continue on and continue on and you, you know, news plot lines would come up and it would just happen. The fact that you're able to feel connected to it and the fact that you're able to personalize it is why you are invested in it the way that you are. And one thing about us, we are going to be invested. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I, was, I was trying to think of something like slightly more intelligent to say than like call me an investor, but like I don't I don't know <laughs> any other terminology than that. So call me an investor. <laughs> okay, so episode six, this is when shit starts to get real and Lamar's potential trade is very much becoming a reality. So his agent calls to tell him that his future with the Lakers is uncertain. There's a possibility he's gonna be traded. And 
you know, as Lamar is saying in his confessional, he's almost more stressed by contract negotiations and trade deals than he is or was by the NBA lockout. And Chloe and Lamar are kind of just discussing the logistics of him being traded, how quick the turnaround would be. And it's something Chloe really hadn't even considered. You know, when she met Lamar, he was a Los Angeles Laker. Obviously, her entire life has been in LA. And I think that's what she envisioned th- for their future. So for this to happen, of course, it shook him up, but it also shook her up in very different ways. Because I think on some level, he knows, or any NBA player, any sports player knows that that is always a possibility, even if you feel really secure. Whereas like, truly, I don't think Chloe has considered that. Anyway, like we said, she's in New York on this work trip. And within five hours that she's there, he gets traded to New Orleans. It ends up not going through. That trade is canceled. But Lamar now doesn't really want to be on a team that was going to trade him in the first place. You can see Chloe in New York feeling very stressed, trying to get multiple people on the phone to check on Lamar because he's not answering. Chloe is then on the phone with his agent and the agent is saying, listen, it's all going to work out. But at this point, a trade is pretty much inevitable. And they end up finding out over the course of this episode that he is getting traded. He's getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks. And Mm -hmm. the next morning, he's going to be on his way. So so much to talk about here because obviously we now have the trade finalized, but also to me, the most telling slash interesting part of this episode was what we didn't see, which was, yeah, we see Chloe in New York feeling stressed that she knows Lamar is going through a stressful time and she can't get a hold of him. But what we see in terms of her kind of panicking, reaching out to other people to get in touch with Lamar and potentially go check on him, she's only voicing to us a certain level of concern. She's not saying what I think we now know is going on in terms of her real concerns and her real fears as to when Lamar's not answering, what is he doing? And this is when the timeline gets blurry because what we were seeing versus what was happening behind the scenes is not consistent. Right. And and I'm still not sure on this timeline. You know, like I, I was thinking about the TMZ special when Lamar talks about how much it broke his heart to leave LA and how much he loved being a Laker and how much of a part of his identity it was. And when he's talking about leaving, he it like does this whole flash of what life was like for him in LA, what life was like being a Laker, how adored he was by the city, how adored he was by the fans. And so the connection between what Lamar says in that TMZ piece about how that kind of started his downward spiral and then like watching it happen in real time is so interesting in terms of what Chloe knew of his drug use or Chloe knew of anything else going on behind the scenes. I don't know if that necessarily started yet or it didn't start until he was in Dallas, but an important detail in all of this is that over the summer, his cousin passed away. His cousin was shot in like an act of senseless gun violence. And that was one of his major triggers for what eventually would take place. And so I don't know if what's going on behind the scenes with Chloe kind of freaking out about Lamar has to do with potential drug use. I don't know if it has to do with anything that we necessarily weren't privy to yet. But what we do know is that Lamar's depression and Lamar's kind of dark period started when his cousin died over the summer. And so whether or not Chloe is thinking worst case scenario, she's definitely attuned into the fact that Lamar isn't in the same place that he was prior to his cousin dying. And so this is now another thing that is going to trigger him. Right. And also not to say that she hadn't seen him down before. Obviously they had been married for a couple of years now. People go through ups and downs and she was there with him through any of those in the same way that he was there for her. But 
this was different and it felt different. And I think that that's what we were seeing. You know, I don't think she had been used to being with Lamar when he was in this dark of a place ever in their relationship. And of course, we didn't know how dark it was about to get. And, you know, from this point on, there were ups and downs. And there were times when I think the behavior he was exhibiting was far more similar to how he was when they first got together. But I do think that there was a part of this that was kind of jarring for her because she hadn't really seen Lamar go through anything in this way. And you're right. I don't know exactly what she was thinking or what she was aware of. I do just feel strongly that she was fearing something that she wasn't saying in her confessional, meaning I don't believe for one second she knew the extent of what was going on from a drug use perspective, but I certainly think she knew something. Yeah. And she also knows that Lamar has suffered an incredible, incredible amount of loss in his life. I mean, you're talking about somebody who lost his mother, his grandmother. He is in an episode talking with his father who was in and out of his life, who he has a very difficult and strained relationship with, how all of his mom's sisters also passed away. He had a child that passed away from sudden infant death syndrome. And then at the time that the child passed away, he was at a funeral for his aunt. I mean, this is somebody who has suffered an incredible, incredible amount of loss. You add the death of his cousin, which in one of the episodes he's talking about how the entire family then leaned on him. He had to be the one to make all the decisions. He had to be the one to say like, okay, we're going to pull him off of life support. And I think that Chloe in her mind just logically knows maybe if she hasn't seen this side of Lamar yet, maybe if she hasn't seen how dark things can get, she kind of knows based on anybody who's experienced this much loss in their life that it's it's something that's going to inevitably creep up on you. And especially Lamar, who does his best to kind of be really strong and hold things down and not let people see that side of him. Chloe, especially being somebody who lost her father, knows that you can only keep those emotions down for so long. And so when this major life change happens, where Lamar is going to be uprooted from the team and the place that he loves so much and his entire comfort zone, she may not know exactly what that looks like, but she knows it doesn't look good. No. And and especially because it's Chloe who is so emotionally intelligent and empathetic and tuned into not only what he's feeling, but what the people she loves the most around her are feeling that you see, she really takes that on as her own because it is, it is her own. Like they were so, so, so connected. And yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to get more into this because the next episode, they're getting ready to fully leave for Dallas. Chris comes over, Caitlin comes over. We see Lamar really struggling with this transition. Even when he gets to Dallas, you know, he says to her, this is the first time in my life that basketball has felt like a job. And you see his his body is feeling it. He's emotionally feeling it. He's mentally feeling it. They're staying in a hotel in this moment because they, of course, still don't have an apartment since this entire thing happened pretty much overnight. He's not playing his best. You know, We see him have not the greatest first game. And all of this is really, really taking a toll. As a side note, when they are looking for apartments, Chloe and Lamar kind of start to get into an argument about the fact that Lamar really wants an apartment that is three bedrooms for when they have house guests. And he's referencing, you know, Malika and Rob and Jamie, and they kind of have this misalignment in their expectations for visitors because I think in Lamar's mind, not that he's expecting Jamie to live with them, but he's expecting Jamie to spend a lot of time with them. And Chloe basically tells Lamar, listen, Jamie is not coming here to live with us because he is a distraction. And you see Lamar does not feel that way, but that was another thing in terms of me feeling as though Chloe was saying a lot without actually saying it of like, 
When you're rewatching these episodes, you see that there was also some drug use going on with Jamie. Of course, that was not something discussed on the show. But when Chloe says Jamie's a distraction, I think that's kind of what she means. And as we know, this episode is filmed throughout 2011. And Jamie unfortunately passed away in 2015, which of course was one of the things that really led to kind of Lamar's spiral. But I do believe that that is partially what Chloe is referring to when she cites Jamie as a distraction. You see in another episode where they have this conversation about Jamie being really selfish. Jamie's kind of only looking out for himself. And so I think on his best day, Jamie was a little bit of a distraction. And on his worst day, he was the last person that Lamar needed to have around him. It's like you watch these episodes and you know their history. Obviously, they had been friends for decades. Like really, Jamie knew Lamar on the come up and you can tell Lamar viewed him as a brother the way that Jamie also viewed Lamar as a brother. But from a totally outside perspective that doesn't have that history with them, and you're just watching Jamie in this phase of their life when Lamar has already you know, made it, and of course he's wildly successful, it, it does feel like something that would raise a little bit of a red flag. And you can tell that Chloe is struggling with feeling that way, yet also wanting to honor her husband's potentially most valued relationship in his life other than her. And, you know, that's something, this is, forget about just Chloe and Lamar and Jamie, like how many other people have been in situations similar to this when your partner has someone in their life as a friend who is deeply connected to them, yet you know this could possibly be an issue, but it's a really uncomfortable spot to be in. And it's something we see throughout the rest of the season. Especially because what you're seeing with Lamar and Chloe, both of them are just really lonely in Dallas. They don't have the same crew around them. They don't have the same people. Like, you know, when Chloe and Lamar were living in LA, that house was a revolving door. Everybody was coming by. Everybody was coming over. Rob was living there. Malika was basically living there. Jamie was there every day. And so there was never a moment where they had that feeling of loneliness. And, and so I think that what Lamar is also struggling with is like maybe knowing that Jamie isn't the best influence and the best person to be there, but also just like needing that presence, like needing to have somebody there, needing to have this feeling of just like, it's not that Chloe didn't give him unconditional support, but Chloe was not a yes man in the way that Jamie was. And I think when you're at your lowest and also your loneliest, you kind of can crave what you know isn't the best for you because it just fills that void. And that's what Lamar was really looking for. Like when you see him interacting with Jamie in the scenes when he's in LA, it is an entirely different mentality that he has towards the role that Jamie is going to play in his life versus when he's just in Dallas and like wants to have somebody around. Well, right. And also because Chloe, while yes, in a very different way, was also experiencing the struggle of the transition. Like, and by the way, if you ask Jamie, he would say that he was as well in the sense that Lamar was no longer there and it was impacting his ability to lead the lifestyle he wanted because he no longer had the VIP treatment that he got when associated with Lamar. But any of that aside, like Lamar was going through it and Chloe, while being his rock, was also going through it. Whereas like Jamie or someone else coming to town, they weren't going through it in that way. And I think that's also something that Lamar was kind of craving. Yeah. And also something that makes Lamar feel 
feel better. Although I think that it ended up being something that was really draining for him and and really worked against him. But at this time, Lamar was taking care of everybody. And it was a role that Lamar really liked. And I actually think that's something that him and Chloe really bonded over was their ability to take care of other people. And so even when we're talking about Rob, for example, yes, Rob was leaning on them. And like we said, what we kind of come to understand this season is that they were really leaning on Rob in a very specific way. But part of the reason that they were leaning on Rob is because Rob was leaning on them and they loved being that role for Rob. Loved being that role for Rob. It was like, it's a fucking fascinating relationship, truly. And by the way, you know, let me save it because we're really going to get into that. Okay. Next episode, the major focus on here is Chloe just feeling the pressure of not being pregnant. And not only the fact that she herself wants to get pregnant, but also everyone around her just constantly asking her about it, really contributing to that stress. We even have Kim come to Dallas and that's what you mentioned earlier when Kim asked Chloe. So, you know, was there a part of you that was jealous for a second when Courtney said that she was pregnant? Again, this is the first time they mentioned that on the show, which later on when Chloe and Lamar are reflecting on this conversation, Lamar admits that he did have a moment of jealousy when he found out Courtney was pregnant. And so we just really see Chloe struggling with this. And again, as seems to be a theme throughout her life, everyone around her, while well-intentioned, lacks such grace in the way they communicate their desires for Chloe. Well, to go back to your earlier point of what we know now versus what we knew then versus figuring out the timeline of it all, something that Chloe has spoken about is not getting pregnant with Lamar because she knew something was off. And I don't know exactly what that looked like if that meant her purposely not doing IVF treatments, if that meant her saying she was doing IVF when she wasn't. But something that we're seeing here is that Kim's kind of encouraging her to do IVF and just, you know, kind of consult or look at it. Or maybe, you know, Lamar is the one that needs to get tested because doctors are saying everything's okay with Chloe. And Chloe's saying, you know, if it's meant to be, it's going to be, I, I don't want to do that. So the question that I had watching this is, is that really Chloe's mentality at the time of like, she kind of still just wanted to see what her body could do naturally and kind of leave it up to, you know, like God's will of what was meant to happen. Or is this Chloe now having that realization of like, okay, something's not right. I'm purposely not going to do IVF for that reason. I'm not going to seek out getting pregnant and go through that for that reason because I can tell something's off, but I can't admit that to my family. So that's where that potential added stress and the way that she's reacting to all of this pregnancy talk and all of the stress is coming from as well. Well, that's what I think was a huge piece of it. I know it's so hard to say because obviously we don't have like an exact timeline. And I think part of it was just, the natural stress that was coming from this. But I, I do think a big piece of it was feeling as though she had these deeply rooted concerns that I truly believe at this point she had voiced to no one. I want to say not even Malika, if I was guessing. It's so hard at this point in the show to kind of predict or guess if that's what was going on because everything that we see of her interacting with Lamar feels so genuine. There's no part of it in watching them where it feels like Chloe is harboring something, where she's keeping some sort of a secret, where there's something off in their interactions. The only reason we think that is because we know it. So I have no idea if that's now in what we're watching or if that's in six months from this point, because what I'm seeing between them is like, if if I had no knowledge, there's no part of me that would look at this and think that there was 
anything even remotely off. There was no part of me that would look at the way they interact and be like, oh, well, that seemed a little forced or that didn't seem natural. It's like everything to me as I'm watching them is them dealing with some really difficult times, but doing it in a way where you can see the strength of their relationship and like the honest, true strength of it. No, I'm right there with you. That's why it's such a mindfuck. Going back to our previous, previous point in the intro of like, no shit, Chloe has these deep trust issues. Right. Also, the one other thing that I wanted to mention from episode eight was two things. Number one, we see Lamar continuing to feel really out of whack just in that he's not playing as he normally does, although the episode does end with him having a good game. But when Kim is there with Chloe and Chloe's so happy to have her there because she really has no one in Dallas and she makes a comment to Kim like, hey, you're my only friend here. And they're having this bonding sisterly time. But they have a moment where they reflect on the last six months or so. And Chloe's saying, you know, you were so mean to me for the last six months. And Kim's like, I was mean to everyone. I hated myself. And that was really the only acknowledgement. They didn't talk more in it, but it's like, oh, we know. Like we were right yeah. there for all of those fights. And finally to hear Kim now be on the other side of it. Cause I, t- listen, towards the end of Courtney and Kim take New York, we started to see Kim, of course, have a realization as to what was going on. She wasn't liking the person she was in terms of how she was treating her family, how she was treating other people around her, how she was towards herself. But now you see like she's saying that while simultaneously not being in it with Chris. So she can really lean into that and like short lived conversation, but so validating. It's so interesting to see the immediate aftermath of Chris and Kim's relationship and Kim in that immediate aftermath. And by that, I mean, we don't see it at all. So like as the viewer, the thing that we are most interested, yes, of course we care about Chloe and Lamar at this time, but the thing we are most interested in is, okay, what is going on with Kim? Like, how is she feeling after this? So POV, you're in 2012 watching the show And you're like, okay, Kim just went through this major divorce. It literally just ended. We now get to see the pieces picked up of another show coming so soon after the fact. And then they don't delve into Kim at all. That's the most we get out of it. That is like, that's a crazy production decision. No, we got nothing. Like, but by the way, we weren't even teased. This was the only time we got a reference to it pretty much. It is so crazy that two major, major Kardashian events, Courtney's pregnancy and Kim in the aftermath of Chris, timeline-wise, existed in Chloe and Lamar season two. I didn't, they got, I mean, they didn't even get a confessional. I know. It's it's so nuts, but like obviously very intentional. And also- yeah. I guess impressive for Chloe and Lamar that they could carry the whole show without that. Although, as we said, the first six episodes, well, not only did it get canceled, the first six episodes were totally fluff, but like very enjoyable fluff. If if we didn't have a podcast, oh my God. It's just that you can't really do a full deep dive podcast on the first half of the season because of the lack of substance of the episodes, but still very fun to consume. Absolutely. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. 
For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just wanna know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Okay, so moving on to episode nine, this is when Lamar has a game coming up in LA. This is his first time playing against the Lakers since he's been traded. And you see, it's really a mix of emotions because obviously he's excited to go home, but there's a sense of nerves about walking into the arena that has been his home for the past however many years. He's now playing against the men that were his teammates. Like, I I mean, I can't imagine. It's like actually the least relatable circumstance in this entire show, but like I can imagine if I'm him, just how confusing slash exciting slash nerve wracking that probably was. But you see when they go back to LA, there's a part of them that immediately fall into their routine of being in their house and just being so happy to be there, but also consciously not wanting to allow themselves to get so comfortable because they know, you know, that's short lived. They're going back to Dallas in a day or two. Right. And them not wanting to get comfortable is something they both acknowledge to each other. It's like the second they walk into their house, it's this overwhelming relief that you can feel through the TV screen. And they both say to each other, like, we're so happy to be here, but don't let yourself get comfortable. But even as they're in LA for this very short period of time, you see those glimpses of their LA self and their old self starting to come back. Like you see when Mason and Courtney come over and Lamar's playing with Mason. Like that is something that you can just tell Lamar misses so much. He's so happy to be there. And Chloe's so happy to be there. And so it's so heartbreaking to watch them struggle with wanting to be home so badly and loving LA and loving their life there, but also knowing they just like, I mean, if they wanted to have it, they could have it, but they couldn't have it. Also, like just from a financial perspective, it wasn't like they were at a point in their lives where, you know, they had so much money that Lamar never had to work again. And it wouldn't matter. He was making at this time, like what, probably between 10 and $14 million per, per season or per contract. And like, that was a lot more than Chloe was making at the time. Right. You know, now the Kardashians individually are making tens of millions of dollars a year. They weren't at the time. And so for the lifestyle that they wanted, listen, it's not like Lamar was going to stop playing anyway, because that's just not really how it works. Typically you play until you can't play anymore, of course, but also like, in, to maintain their lifestyle, they needed his salary. Whereas like now, $10 million, while a lot of money, 
realistically, if, if $10 million was the difference between Chloe having like her sanity and not, she could more than afford to not have it. Right. Like if it was Tristan and this was kind of happening right. where he was being traded and they really didn't want to go and they were struggling that much. Like Tristan knows that he wouldn't need to work. Like even them not together, Tristan knows he doesn't need to work. Right. Like it's not, yeah, it's just a different, totally different situation. Anyway, you know, another plot from this episode is the Jamie of it all. And Chloe and Lamar go out to this romantic dinner. And of course, Jamie shows up and it really just highlights the issues because again, what wasn't being said, but I do think really existed was Chloe having an issue with potentially some of the activities Jamie was engaging in when what she felt Lamar would maybe engage if around Jamie. And on top of it, when Jamie's talking to Lamar about how it's been in LA with him out there, he really keeps honing in on like, dude, I'm just not getting the VIP treatment anymore. And you know, he will maintain the fact that he didn't mean it like that, but Lamar's upset by that because he's like, listen, okay, you may not be getting the VIP treatment you were once getting, but like, I literally just had to uproot my entire life. I'm no longer playing on the Lakers. Like here I am living in Dallas. Like, so sorry, you're not getting the reservation that you want at fucking Nobu. Like we are not the same. And what's so interesting is the way that Chloe and Jamie talk about this, where they have this really honest conversation at dinner when Jamie just stops by their romantic dinner. Like Chloe and Lamar are in LA for one night. They're on a date. They're like really trying to capture their LA selves. Jamie just shows up to dinner and Chloe's like, wait, did Lamar invite you? Or you just like thought you would show up? And he was like, well, I knew you were having dinners. So like I thought like, what's the big deal? I'm obviously going to show up and eat with you. I don't even know how that happened. But they have this really honest conversation where Chloe, where Jamie says to Chloe, like, do you like any of Lamar's friends? And Chloe's like, I used to really like you. Like, we used to talk. We used to have a real relationship. But you are selfish and you aren't a good friend to Lamar and you aren't a good influence on Lamar. And it was just, that was also a conversation where it was like a lot being said and a lot not being said. Exactly. And, you know, that only maintains itself. And as we transition into the next episode, this is when Rob comes to Dallas, which as we talked about previously, is probably Chloe and Lamar's happiest time since they've been there. Like they're just so over the moon that he is there. His presence really alters both of their moods in such an overwhelmingly positive way. And you see like they really would love him to stay, which we'll get more into as this episode progresses. But as a side for a second, Chris also comes down and Kim for Lamar's game and they're all in Dallas together. And what's so like hilarious and classic here is that we see Chris trying to get in with Mark Cuban, who's of course the owner of the Mavs. And Chloe's feeling really uncomfortable of like, listen, you, you can't do this here. Like this is Lamar's place of business. And I understand you're a schmoozer and you make these connections, but like we cannot be having the focus on you trying to rub shoulders with Mark Cuban while like we're still adjusting to Lamar even being in Dallas. And what ends up happening is that night at the game, Chris is sitting in Mark Cuban's box. Lamar sees her there, makes a comment to her about it at dinner. And to Chloe's surprise, Lamar is more than happy about it. He loves that Chris is making this connection with Mark Cuban. But like, it was so, so, so funny because a million things here. First of all, the thing that initially tipped Chloe off to Chris potentially having this relationship with Mark Cuban was not only Chris asking Chloe for his phone number, but then when Chris, Kim, and Courtney arrive in Dallas... Chloe sees they arrive on private plane. And at this point in their lives, flying private was not the norm, which sparked Chloe to ask the question, so uh, how, how'd you get that plane? And 
it's like just hilarious watching this in what, 2011 versus now 12 years later, like whose plane are we going to take Kylie or Kim's? Whereas here there's a private plane and that immediately tips Chloe off as to, okay, someone else had to get involved because the plane didn't come from my mom alone. Me and Isabel were watching this episode together and we just couldn't get over the idea of Chris and Mark Cuban not being friends. Like to right. me, to both of us, that was like the craziest concept we had ever heard. And by the way, what was even crazier than the idea of them not being friends was the idea of Chris not being able to make that connection on her own, like, which she ended up doing. But the fact that she even called Chloe for Mark Cuban's number, if I'm Chloe, what probably is happening is Chloe's like, I don't even have Mark Cuban's number. Like, I can't right. give it to my mom because I don't have it. Right. Like, what Chris has no idea is in a couple of years down the line, she's going to be one of the very few women at Lauren Sanchez's intimate birthday dinner. Like she's going to be on Jeff Bezos's yacht. Like she, she doesn't even know. Mark Cuban is just the, the starting point. Another relationship dynamic, going back to the Chris and Lamar thing, like talk about a mother figure for Lamar. I mean, there's this one point where they're talking in the kitchen. Chris is wearing her Mavericks jersey that says like, Odom and then Mav's mom on the back. I'm just like melting, dying because it is just so adorable. And Chris is talking to Lamar about, you know, getting right and having a good game and really giving him that pep talk. And Lamar is in confessional saying, you know, it's all of these things that I've heard, but for some reason, when Chris says it, it really sticks. And when they're at dinner and Lamar says to her about seeing her in Mark Cuban's box, Chloe's like, how did you even notice that she was there? And he's like, are you kidding? He's like, I look up and I hear Lammy being yelled. Like there's nothing that would make, like nothing is more comforting. Nothing is better. And it's just like, that relationship was so special. They adored each other. It was like the mother figure that, you know, Lamar was craving so badly. And so it's another one of those dynamics that just like breaks your heart when you think about it because they had such a special bond. Well, I mean, what about the fact that throughout this episode, Kim, Courtney, and Chris are all actively trying to convince Rob to stay in Dallas. And Rob's whole thing is like, wait, you guys have just been criticizing me for the last however many years for being such a mooch, not doing my own thing, living with Chloe and Lamar. I finally get my own apartment, I'm on my own two feet, and now because you can tell emotionally it would be good for Chloe and Lamar to have me here. You basically want me to just leave my whole life in LA and come back to Dallas for them. And you can see like, they're like, yeah, that's exactly, that is exactly what, what is happening. Like they're not even denying the fact that they did an entire 180 because they, and mainly Chris are so focused on the fact of like, I just want Lamar and Chloe to be their happiest. And Rob, you're in. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong necessarily, like every family has to operate in the way that works for them. But I would say that that is not necessarily typical and that like for them, it was the expectation or the understanding that, yeah, of course it's no big deal for Rob to just leave his life in LA and go because his sister and her husband could maybe benefit from having him around. Like you see just, it it tunes you into kind of like their expectations in terms of the familial dynamics. A hundred percent. And that was so interesting. What also stood out to me is that every single episode that we've seen of, let's say, Scott and Chris Humphreys, when the family was in town, the episode was about how draining it was to have the family in town. Every confessional that it cut to of Scott a little bit less, especially as we saw in New York, but in the earlier seasons, 100%. And every time it happened with Chris Humphreys, it was just like, oh my God, this is so draining. Having them all here is so exhausting. Whereas Lamar is, if he could keep them all there in that little 
three bedroom condo, he would never let them leave. Like if he could keep, he wouldn't even need them to have their own hotel rooms. He would be so happy to just have them there. Like their presence was so comforting. And the family that he got out of this was the best part for him. And so you see that more clearly than any other, even Caitlin, when it cuts to her in confession, was like, I know this is my house, but it's like crazy having them all here. Lamar is just, talk about dynamics of the family. Like he was just so thrilled to have them and be supported by them. Because he didn't view them as Chloe's family. He viewed them as his family. That was the and difference. He craved between, family. He craved family. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has suffered so much loss, so much of his family had unfortunately been taken from him. And so like here he's coming into this larger than life family that wants nothing more than to just accept him and be super involved. Like that is exactly what he wants. It's, 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 I mean, for so many reasons, everything that happened is so sad, but also from the perspective of like the family benefited greatly from Lamar, but Lamar also benefited greatly from having that sense of family. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so as we continue, we're now, you know, rounding out the season episodes 11 and 12. The focus of episode 11 is Rob's OCD and just how it's really starting to impact his life. And we see that come up in certain examples that are exhibited throughout the episode, but also just generally speaking, you know, his anxiety is at an all-time high and you see him wanting to be in Dallas because that's what's necessary for Chloe and Lamar. Not necessary, but that's what's helping Chloe and Lamar. But he's feeling really out of whack of the fact that like there's all these things going on in LA and he's not there for it. And just watching him kind of balance that and trying to take control of his mental health while also trying to be there for Chloe and Lamar. Like it's it's a interesting I don't want to say role reversal, but kind of role reversal. Yeah, again, it's just another one of the dynamics where, you know, Robert is constantly struggling with this concept of wanting to be an adult, wanting to be his own person, wanting to have his thing, wanting to be mature, and then just struggling with that. And like, you have the situation where Rob kind of has to leave that behind in order to take care of and be there for Chloe and Lamar. And Chloe is kind of looking out in all of these places for Rob to be showing that kind of progress. And I think what Rob is feeling is that anytime he makes it, he feels like he's being pulled back. But then the episode ends with Rob seeking help for this OCD that he is definitely having in these compulsions and this anxiety that he's having. And Chloe's saying how proud she is of Rob. And like, that is what a man does. Like when he needs help, he acknowledges it and he seeks it out and he does it. And Chloe being so proud of him for that fact. And I feel like what Rob was struggling with in this episode is like, I want you to be proud of me for that fact. But also like, I need it to be that like, it's not on your terms what makes me a man. Like it's, it can't be on your terms when it's convenient for you and when it's not convenient for you, what I need for my own growth. And so it was interesting to see the way that he was pulled in different directions. Totally. I also, I know that people will comment on this if they haven't watched the episode. You know, sometimes people use the term OCD kind of throwing around when it's not diagnosed. And you can see here, like it is a diagnosed condition that he is struggling with. And he he walks, you know, us as the audience through how this manifests for himself in terms of needing to count when he's closing a door. And then, you know, if he gets thrown out of that for a second, really spiraling anxiety wise in terms of, you know, how that disrupts the rest of his mental space throughout the day. And, and you see him on the phone with his, his psychologist. Like I just, I just wanted to make that one point because I know if we didn't, um, someone would say something about that. But it, you you can tell like he is really truly struggling with this. And when he's voicing it to Chloe, something that she mentions is like, listen, if anyone gets it, I get it. Because clearly 
out of the family, they are the two that struggle with that in a way that I don't think, at least from what has been communicated to us, anyone else does. Yeah, I think so too. The other plot of this episode is just, you know, Malika coming to town and voicing kind of her separation anxiety she's been feeling from Chloe and maybe feeling a little bit replaced by some of Chloe's new friends. This was one that was, to me, a little bit more dramatized because like, one thing about Chloe and Malika, they are solid. And Jason Kidd's wife that Chloe's known for two weeks is not taking that title. So no need to really focus on that or insult their relationship by focusing on a plot line that I found to be very dramatized. But in terms of the finale, you know, One, this is when we see Lamar really voicing just the struggles that he has kind of been concealing in terms of, as we said earlier, six or seven months ago when his cousin was killed and everyone was leaning on him to be their rock. And he is just feeling the pressure and the transition and a lot of other things that he's going through, both that he's saying and not saying. And you can tell it's kind of very much getting to him. But Chloe, I think, is feeling relieved that Lamar is voicing it because like worst case scenario is him struggling and then keeping it all inside. Whereas I think she feels as long as he's saying it, we can at least work through it. Well, it is a little bit of an eerie conversation because there is a sense of relief for both of them that Lamar is finally talking about it. And I do feel like what Chloe's experiencing is this feeling of like, okay, we can, we can move on from here. Like not we have to move on, not you have to get over everything, but like we can now that it's all out in the open, that you're actually feeling the things that you're feeling. We can start to work on it and we can start to be open and honest. It doesn't have to weigh on you so heavy. And she's kind of seeing this light. Whereas what the reality of the situation is, is that light keeps dimming and dimming and dimming and what she thinks is going to happen. And what does happen is so far from each other. It was just watching it in retrospect is like this scene specifically hit me. So no, me too. And then the other plot line of this episode, which is, I mean, seemingly totally disconnected, but was something that was going on at the time was all of these rumors about Robert Kardashian not being Chloe's biological father. And because of the fact that Chris had an affair, which there's some confusion with this, which we don't really need to get into, but basically in the episode, what Chloe is saying is that in Chris's book, she cites the time of her affair around the time that Chloe would have been conceived, which is what has sparked a lot of these rumors online. Whereas we, I think we were so confused by this because when she actually does talk about this affair, it's when Chloe was already born and when Robert was either about to be born or just a year old. So there's a little bit of confusion there that we weren't entirely sure about, but either way, where this ends up is Chloe really considering taking a paternity test because that's what Kim and Courtney and Chris would like her to do to kind of just shut everyone up. And we see where the episode ends. She decides, you know what? My dad is my dad. I don't need a piece of paper to prove that. I'm not doing it. As we know, years down the line, she does end up taking the test. But it was like kind of a massive plot line that was almost seemingly thrown into this finale. But as we know, this has been a conversation that has followed Chloe unfortunately, for forever. And this honestly continues to. What I felt like was interesting just from a production standpoint of this being the plot is like it almost then transitioned it back to like, okay, and now we're going to pick up with regular Kardashians once this is over. Right. And just keep in mind, Chris's book, which was Chris Jenner and All Things Kardashian, was released November 2011. So as we know, this season was filming throughout 2011. And in it, she details having this midlife crisis around 30, having an affair with a 23-year-old soccer player who in the book she refers to as Ryan, but as we know, was Todd Waterman. And this eventually led to her divorce from Robert. She later cites this as the biggest regret of her life in terms of splitting up her family. But it was just 
interesting to see the immediate aftermath of this book release and the way that, yes, she was revealing so many personal details, but Chloe was like so directly impacted by this. Right. Especially when like the timeline, by the way, wasn't even correct. Like what Chloe is talking about is, which we don't have to fully get into because you and I like before this episode, we're like, I'm just so confused. Like, what does she mean? She wasn't 30. She was around 34 when this happened. Like, but Chloe being the one specifically impacted because also it was kind of Chris's lack of exact details in the book where, or what Chris's exact details when she's talking about it, where she says like, oh, in my thirties or when I'm 30, where Chloe's like, no, you have to specify because like, if it's 30, that means that like, I am the product of that, which isn't the case. Yeah, exactly. And also when she says like, it was just one time and we're like, what do you mean it was just one time? You said that it was a recurring thing. I think by one time she meant it was just one person. Like there were a lot of little details that could be considered semantics, but like they weren't actually because nailing the specificity of those would in some ways allow for this not to be an issue. Like it was just, whatever. It's, it's just something that again, I constantly feel like with Kardashians, no matter what, it always comes down to like, and Chloe is fucked. Like somehow, no matter what the thing is, Chloe just gets the shit end of the stick. And it's just such an unfortunate reality for like potentially the most deserving of the entire family. I so agree. This is a wild ride. And like, I, I can't remember the last time I binged a show like this. Cause when we recap these seasons, we, we normally watch the episode or the two episodes we're going to discuss right before recording. So it's fresh in our minds. And this was one where like, we really just did a, a full wash through and I really felt for a moment like I was transported back to 2011 and it was it was quite the ride. I can't wait to continue this journey. I am loving this. Loving it. Although we're uh, we're about a month out from next season. I I can't believe it. I know. Just a couple of things that I wanted to tell you guys before we end. The first is in a couple of weeks, we will be doing a sponsored segment on the podcast where basically you guys can call in, ask any pop culture question or discussion point you'd like for us to talk about. And we'll go through the voicemails and choose one or two and, and kind of just talk about them. The number for that is 213-534-7023. We'll give more details about this segment in the coming weeks uh, when it comes to fruition, but just wanted to share it again. That's 213-534-7023. We'll post this again on our Instagram story sometime in the next few weeks as part of this larger integration. But that is, I think, something that we are really excited for because like, we always feel like we're talking to you guys. So for then to us actually be able to like play a voicemail and respond to it in real time is, I think, very fun. And then second, just a housekeeping note, we are off all three episodes next week. I said it on the other two, but just again, as a reminder, we're off next week. And then there's a couple of other weeks till the end of the year that we're off. I think the next one is the week of September 30th. So we'll keep you guys posted a week in advance for those, but just wanted to let you know, and we love you. Thank you for listening and for letting us do this. And we'll see you in two weeks. 